Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco on the Improved Photography Network. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. You're going to have to forgive me, have a bit of a cold, been feeling under the weather for about a week now. And uh, so my voice doesn't sound quite like normal, and I hope I can edit out all of the coughing <laughs> that I'll have in the episode. Um, hopefully it'll be, end up being okay. All right, in this episode, I'm going to answer a question from a great listener named Jose Lopez. He asked the question quite a while ago, and he said, I've primarily been taking photos of landscapes, events, and other natural light subjects, but recently wanted to do more photography where a flash would be beneficial. I've watched the improved photography tutorials and spent hours looking online at YouTube, and I find that it's a bit overwhelming. And I've purchased two YN 560 flashes after reviewing the recommended gear page at improvedphotography.com, and I started to look into light modifiers. That's where I'm starting to get a bit overwhelmed. I got a small softbox, a 5-in-1 reflector, a shoot-through umbrella, and an inexpensive light sphere clone. And I'm not sure what the best settings are to use for aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. Since the YN560s are manual flashes, a lot of chimping to see if I got it even close. And I was hoping you might be able to dive into the topic from a hobbyist standpoint and point me in the right direction. I'm sure I'm not the first person to be a bit intimidated by flashes. Jose, thank you so much for your question. And the first thing that I wanted to do here is reassure you, you are far from the first person who has felt that way. In fact, I picked Jose's question because he included in it a lot of the elements I want to go through in talking about how to get started with flash photography. But I have hundreds of other listeners of Improved Photography Podcasts who have come up with exactly the same questions. And I myself was in a very similar situation not very long ago. It can be super frustrating. Maybe it's because I'm the representative hobbyist photographer on the Improved Photography Network, but there's definitely a common theme in the questions I get where hobbyists are struggling to break through and feel like they're making progress. So the first point I want to make in this episode is to recognize that feeling, but please don't allow it to overcome you. I personally started my photography journey in earnest back in December of 2011 when I got my first DSLR. And as I record this episode here in October 2017, I'm coming up on six full years as a hobbyist doing all I can to improve my photography. And it's hard when I compare my progress to others who started even after I did and are producing significantly better results than I am. There's a lot of possible reasons for this, but I'm fully convinced one of the largest factors is time. See, for me, photography comes about fourth as far as time goes in my life. It has fourth priority. I have a passion for it and I love to get work on it whenever I can to, to try to improve my photography. But since it's far from first priority, the reality is my progress is not something I can really compare to anyone else. So Jose and to all of you hobbyists out there who are listening, please don't uh, struggle uh, and give up. Don't let the struggling make you give up. You absolutely can do this. It's just going to take some time. So stick with me and the Improved Photography team, and you can do this, including flash photography. Now, with that said, before I dive into the advice I have for getting started with flash photography, let's take a quick break here to thank the sponsor of this episode, the Improved Photography Retreat. This ad actually fits in really well with the topic today because attending an event like the Improved Photography Retreat is like the single best way I know 
as a hobbyist photographer to take a huge step forward on your photography journey. I just mentioned that even though I love it and I want to work on my photography as much as I possibly can, it comes forth in my life. Imagine then the progress that you could make if for a week, maybe it's only a week, you can actually make it first priority. And if you did that surrounded by experts and fellow photographers who are willing to jump in and help each other, well, that's exactly what the retreat is. It's an incredible opportunity, and I can attest, we'll do more for improving your photography than any investment in gear. The retreat is being held March 22nd through 24th in 2018 in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. And you can get your tickets today by heading over to improvephotographyretreat.com for just $459. I also want to announce that I'm doing a post-retreat workshop where my wife and I will spend seven hours training photographers how to be a ninja with their camera. Getting to know how to use your camera inside and out. We want the group to be very small so we can do a lot of individual hands-on work and we only have 10 spots in the workshop. Several are already taken. This post-retreat workshop is a steal at just $250, so that's beyond the $459 for the retreat. And if you would like to have your own personal photo taco experience, where you get to have kind of a photo taco episode tailored just for you for seven hours, then you can uh, go over to JS Harmon Photos. It stands for Jeff and Susie Harmon. So JS H-A-R-M-O-N photos, jsharmanphotos.com slash workshop to register for that workshop today. All right, let's talk about getting started with Flash. You know, it was a really daunting thing for me to start into Flash, just like Jose said in his question. And I did it about two years ago as I record this episode. I decided I had to get into Flash because I'd taken my family and individual portrait photography, well, about as far as I could go, but still wasn't quite getting the quality I wanted out of it. Now, I'd convinced myself that I was a natural light portrait photographer, able to get the best possible portrait shot using only ambient light. In fact, it was kind of a proud thing, a, a part of my branding that I pushed on my website, that we would go out into the beauty of nature and harness the natural light to get the very best photo of you. Trying to convince probably myself more than anyone, I didn't need flash, I can do just fine with the light from the sun, and it will be beautiful. And it's not necessarily a terrible thing to go that way. I had lots of clients who were very, very happy with the quality of the portraits I was producing without flash. So don't mistake this episode for saying that flash is absolutely required to get good portrait results, because you can do quite well without it. And in some cases, like groups over, I don't know, 10 people or so, flash ends up kind of not being much of an option. So you might have to end up doing the best you can without it anyway, even if you get fully comfortable using Flash. What I do want listeners who aren't using Flash today to get out of this episode is Flash is a way to add just a little bit more of polish and a professional look to your portrait photos. A way to make your portrait photos look different and better than a person could get with their phone, uh, their point-and-shoot camera, or maybe their relative who happens to have a DSLR. Since I only started with a flash two years ago, I remember very clearly being at exactly the same spot as Jose. I watched the same flash tutorials available at improvephotography.com, which are very good by the way, and that is the place to start for sure. It's a, it's a good way to go see some of the more details than we're going to go through in this episode. And, uh, you know, I got a very basic understanding of Flash, but I still got a little frustrated when I went to the real world and attempted to do it myself. I had this kind of intellectual understanding about how to use Flash, 
but it got lost in the translation going from that to making it work in real life. In fact, at first, I was doing more harm than good to my photos. It was taking me more time with my clients as I was messing around with the flash, trying to figure out how to make it work. And I ended up deferring back to the natural light photos a lot that I was taking just to be safe over kind of the really ugly flash photos that I was getting. So I, I totally understand the frustration and, and why it's kind of a daunting thing to consider adding flash to your photography, especially if you're a hobbyist. Now, Jose outlined in his email some of the flash gear that he's invested in, and this is where we need to go through that a little because I think hobbyists need to understand sort of what that equipment was that he is talking about, why you might want to use it. If you've been listening to me for much time here on Photo Taco, you know I'm a firm believer that you can get impressive results with inexpensive equipment. And that holds true for flash photography as well. So we're going to go through some of that and uh, talk about some some relatively inexpensive equipment that you can use. Um, the flash gear is, we're going to go over it in priority so that if you're a hobbyist and you have a, a tighter budget to deal with, you can kind of phase your approach to buying this flash equipment and uh, and get it in kind of the order that will help you to dip your toes in, kind of get used to it, start dealing with flash, but you can kind of delay some purchases if you need to, if you don't have enough budget to buy all of it up front. First one obviously has to be the flash itself. And there are lots of flash brands out there that vary in cost from under $100 all the way up through multiple hundreds of dollars to even thousands of dollars. And while I'm sure there's advantages to the more expensive equipment, since I don't have personal experience with any of that, I'm just, I can't speak to it and I'm not going to try to. What I do have personal experience with and what IP has long recommended are the Young Nuo branded flashes. Now, these flashes can be bought from about $60 to $70 on Amazon. And there's two versions that are uh, readily available today. There's the Young Nuo 563s and the Young Nuo 564s. And I, I guess I should say that I recommend the 560 model lines as the place to start. Um, there are other options available. There's quite a quite a lineup now that Young Nuo offers. But these flashes are the least expensive options. And they, they don't have uh, as many bells and whistles to have to figure out their manual. We're going to go over a little bit towards the end of the episode about what that means, why what manual is. But um, to me, it actually kind of made it easier to learn how to use flash. And they're, they're inexpensive enough that it actually made sense. 60 to $70, depending on which ones you get, are, are great. These flashes, um, I purchased them on Amazon, and they've been great so far for me. In the two years that I've been using them, they worked flawlessly, and I personally have had no problems with them. But I've heard from some listeners that their experience has been different from mine. With flashes that either were dead on arrival, they didn't work at all when they even when they took them out of the box the first time, or with them failing within a few weeks or months of using them. So to me, it's been very worth the risk as I can buy you know, something like 10 of these flashes compared with the cost for a Canon or Nikon branded version. Uh, a risk I really had to take as a hobbyist photographer because $600 for just one flash is simply not in my hobbyist budget. One thing that you can do to take a little bit of the risk out of your purchase is to buy them through youngnuousa.net. So that's a difficult thing. I'm going to have links in the show notes for how to get there. But Young Nuo USA is a, a company that um, is the only distributor in the U.S. that services the warranty on Young Nuo products for a full year. 
When you buy it through youngnewusa.net, you get a year's warranty and you don't have to deal with China if you have a problem with your flash. For, for one full year, they're going to service your flash. So that helps with those dead on arrival and those that fail really fast. Then you have a U.S. company who's going to be your who you interact with to deal with returns and, and problems that you have with your flash. So that takes a little bit of the risk out of it um, more than if you used Amazon. Like I said, my experience has been I haven't needed it, but others have. And um, it's one way that you can kind of get a little better warranty out of it than you can through some others. Um, if you buy the Young Nua Flash through YoungNuaUSA.net, which this is not an ad for that company, by the way, um, then they're only a few dollars more. So it's not really that that big of a deal on a price increase or anything. Uh, you just won't be able to use your Amazon points to get them, which is kind of what I had to do. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a good way to get them. Now, there's, I said that there's two versions of the 560 YN560 model. There's the version 3 and the version 4. So which of the two should you get? And um, I'm not going to go over what the difference is because it, it doesn't really matter. The 4 version is the, the newer version. It's been out for a while now, though. And so the reason to get that is um, that there's more help out there available for them. In fact, Brian Pex has a really good article at improvephotography.com called YN564 Manual, a Helpful Illustrated Guide. And there'll be a link in the show notes to that, that article, or I'm sure you can just go search Google for YN564 Manual Illustrated Guide, and you'll it'll come right up. So I recommend buying the version 4 of the Flash even though there's a feature in there that has to do with the transmitter and be able to control other flashes that you'll, you're not likely to use, um, I, I recommend having it. And then if you ever do have a use case where you need that extra function that we're not going to talk about <laughs> because of time, then, uh, then you'll have it. All right, so I recommend getting at least two of those. So it's going to cost you probably around $120 to $140 to get those two flashes. And if that's all the budget budget allows, then just get those two flashes. Uh, I actually have four. I found that to be very helpful. And that, that helps me to have all my options open as I'm approaching any kind of shooting situation where I want to use flash. I have enough flashes to cover everything I can think of so far in a, in a couple of years I've been doing it. And four has, has really made a big difference. So there you go. There's your first investment. I recommend the YN564 flashes, two of them. Next piece of equipment I recommend is also from Young Nuo. It's the YN560-TX controller. It's a little LCD screen that you kind of put on the top of your hot shoe just for convenience sake and, and so that the signal that your camera makes trying to talk to a flash will hit the hot shoe and then that hot shoe, the, the YN560-TX will send the signal remotely over to the flashes and, and have them fire. And yes, this is actually exactly what can be done with the YN564 flash itself. You don't need the controller, but it's so much easier to use this controller. I highly recommend it. It's only $40 to add it to your kit, and uh, it really makes things much easier to use that. And uh, Brian Pex has another article at improvephotography.com that goes through this, and I highly recommend it. So it's YN560TX manual, a helpful illustrated guide. If you just go to improve photography and you search for YN560, then you'll find these articles and they're they're very worthwhile. By the way, it, to do a really fast search of improvephotography.com, in your browser, you can just type improvephotography.com and then hit space. 
and on many browsers that turns it into a search of the improvephotography.com site and then type in your, your text and you can search it. All right, number three then is a flash modifier. We're gonna spend a little bit more time on these. This is where Jose had kind of the core of his questions was about flash modifiers. And sort of like how the concept of aperture seems a little counterintuitive at first when, when people first learn about aperture because the number doesn't is, is an inverse relationship to what the aperture is doing. Using flash to add light felt similarly very counterintuitive to me. Like I already mentioned, the light was adding portraits. It, it felt like I was doing more harm than good when I was first doing it. And a big portion of the reason was because I was using the flashes without any modifiers, or a lot of people call them naked flashes. They just, the flash itself and that's it. Naked flashes produce light I'm sure you have heard referred to as harsh lighting. We see each other every day in harsh lighting. The sun produces very harsh lighting from an hour after sunrise or so, maybe two hours, depending on the day, through an hour or two before sunset. It's pretty harsh. That sun is up there in the sky and it's producing shadows that have very sharp and distinct lines between the light and the shadow. It almost goes instantly from light to dark. And instead of having kind of a gradual and smooth transition between those two things. Now, my gut reaction when I was working with naked and unmodified flashes was to pull the flash further away from the model to make the light less harsh. And to some degree, it does actually work, but it's not really the way you want it to because pulling the flash away from the model, what that's doing is decreasing the amount of light that's come that coming out of the flash that actually makes it over to the model. And you can get it far enough away that it almost doesn't affect the model anymore. But our goal is to properly light the model. And this isn't then a very practical approach. You'd have to have a lot of these lights in order to kind of use that approach to back them away from the model and make that do well. And that's, that's not what we're after. So this is where it got kind of counterintuitive for me. In order to make the light from the flash look better on the model, it needs to be as large a surface area as possible that you're lighting up and as close to the model as you can get it. Instead of having the light be concentrated into like a, a one inch by three inch rectangle where it comes out of your flash, uh, naked flash with no modifiers, that produces pretty harsh lighting. And yes, you can try to get it closer to the model, but it just doesn't have enough surface area and it produces those really sharp, high contrast, light to dark uh, shadows that are, are just not very flattering. It's the way we see people all the time. And the mark of a, a good portrait photo is putting them in a little different light, in a little different way, something that will stand out. And uh, having a less harsh light, the term often is used as softer light, it produces those nice slow transitions from shadow to light on the model and effect very pleasing to our eyes and just adds a really professional look in part because it's not how we see people every day. It makes you look different than we see you all the time. And we notice that. Our brains instantly pick that up. So there are a few good and relatively inexpensive options to modify the light coming from the flash to spread it over a larger surface area. And I'm gonna share with you a few of the options I've personally used and can recommend, but by no means is this a comprehensive list. And there are certainly a lot of options I've not tried but I thought it'd be helpful to share the options that I have actually tried and that are mostly friendly to a hobbyist budget. Not completely, I mean, we've already talked about having to spend $120 to get two flashes. 
And in the relative terms, that's very inexpensive to get flashes. But I I know when you when you have a hobbyist budget, you're like, oh man, 120 bucks more again. And we're not done spending. There's more flash modifiers that you really kind of need in order to make that light work well. All right, the very least expensive option is free. So that's good. I like free. And that's using a wall or ceiling. Most of the time it's a ceiling that's we're we're very used to people seeing people with light from overhead. When you're outdoors in the sun or even in your house, the lights are overhead. So we're very used to seeing kind of shadows um, that get produced on your face from light being over the top of you. So using the ceiling to just add more light to the room um, is a really good way to be able to approach flash. You can point the flash to the ceiling and you turn that ceiling into a giant light modifier. It hits the ceiling, it spreads out over a pretty wide area, and bounces back down onto your model. It produces some really nice soft light, but there are some potential problems. If the ceiling isn't white, then the light that bounces back is going to have a color cast to it. And you might be going for that, which case is great, but if you're not, then it can make it really challenging to get the white balance right and have everything look good. Um, And you don't have much control over the direction of the light. You're pretty much going to get straight up and down. You might be able to do, if you're near a corner, some uh, 90 or some 45 degree bouncing, but you, you don't have any control over the directionality of the light. You don't have much control over the direction of the light. And in bouncing, you lose some of the power of the flash. It kind of reduces your options to have the right amount of light unless you can add more flashes to the mix. So for event photography or photography where you're trying to be as unobtrusive as possible, you don't want to disrupt the event. You don't want to be distracting to what's actually going on. It can be a really good way to try out flash, get some uh, some better lighting in the room and uh, and produce some portraits especially if your budget is really constrained and all you can really get are those couple of flashes, then this is a really good way to get started with it and try out your flash. All right, next up, next modifier. This is the first one that you could spend some money on. It's a large white umbrella, often called a diffuser umbrella. I use and can recommend a 60-inch umbrella that costs about $25 from Newer or newer, I'm not how it's sure how you pronounce it. It's spelled N-E-E-W-E-R. And I've always said newer, but I, I don't know how you say it. I'll say newer for the rest of the episode, but because I'm going to recommend a few of their products, but I don't know how you say it. I'll put some links in the show notes too to Amazon where you can buy these. You might be able to have an assistant hold the flash and the umbrella together, but it's, it's going to be really tough for them to do that. And it's much more practical than to also buy, besides the $25 umbrella, uh, a light stand and a flash bracket. And I've used and can recommend the newer 7-foot light stand for about $20 on Amazon and the Photodiox Elite flash umbrella bracket for about 10 bucks. And I do recommend the Photodiox over. I think newer has a umbrella flash bracket too. And they have not done well as I've used them. They've worn out really fast and I had to replace them. And uh, the photodiocs are built much better. So I recommend spending the little bit extra money that it takes 
to upgrade over the newer product to the Photodiox product there. So links again in the show notes for the, both of those products. So all together, you're going to be about $65 to get a, an umbrella, a light stand, and the flash bracket. What you do is you, you set up this, uh, the light stand. It's kind of a, it's a, like a tripod kind of for your light. And, uh, and then you put the flash bracket on top of that, you just kind of screw it on there. And then that flash bracket has a circular hole that you put the umbrella, um, uh, the handle, the pole <laughs> that you use on the umbrella to hold up the umbrella, you know, the stick that you, you normally use it like on a rain umbrella to, to hold it up over your head. You put that through the hole and that supports the umbrella. And then you mount the flash at the top of the flash bracket and point the flash at the umbrella. And what this does then, you can now control the directionality of the flash to be overhead, to, to the side, or, or however you want to use it. And then as the flash fires, it fills that um, the entire umbrella with light. And now the, the surface area of the light that's going to hit your model gets expanded out to be that whole 60-inch umbrella size. And it's really, really nice and soft. It's a really beautiful way to be able to light portraits for a very small amount of money. Um, I, I really recommend it. It's, it's a great way to do it, especially if you're going to shoot indoors. If you have a studio uh, set up someplace, even if it's not like a permanent space, if you're just, I just set it up in my basement and use it there, then you can set up the umbrella and it, it doesn't take very long to set it up. You stick the flash in there and it produces some really beautiful soft light. You can get it right next up to that to the, uh, the model. And it's, it's just great. I really love it. So that's the first modifier that I'll, uh, I'll recommend. My next one is the Photodiox F60 quick collapse softbox. It's about $60 itself just for the softbox. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You could reuse that same light stand to mount this softbox for studio shooting or, or makeshift studio shooting in your basement like me. Um, much like the umbrella, you mount the flash at the back of the softbox, and then it has kind of these, the softbox is, uh, it, it has metal rods that go out from kind of the, the circular area where you mount the flash to, and they go, they go out into a, um, usually it's like a hexagonal pattern, can be square, uh, maybe even some circular patterns, but in this case, in this Photodiox product, it's a 24-inch hexagon. And so it's spreading the light out over that 24 inches. And it does a pretty, a really good job. It produces some really beautiful soft light. And you have a, a little bit more directional control over it. And when, with the umbrella, that light kind of sprays everywhere um, <laughs> to a large degree. And with the softbox, it's, it's much more focused, yet still a nice soft light. Um, the handle, there is a handle on this softbox. So my wife, I, I often have her just hold the softbox in place and, uh, and it's not very heavy and she does great, but she's also not very tall. So, uh, if we ever want to do something overhead, then we have to mount it on top of a monopod. And that works really beautifully to mount that, uh, that softbox on top of the monopod and, and use that to, to lift it up overhead of the model. Works really, really well. It's turned out to be kind of my most favorite light modifier for lighting portraits. All right. The last one I, I have to mention, although it is not as friendly to the hobbyist budget, is the MagMod system. 
Now you have to buy the MagMod Mad Grip to do anything. And that grip itself is 25 bucks right off the bat. No modifiers to add to it, but that's how you mount all of the MagMod modifiers to your, uh, your flash. And um, it's just a really great way to do it because you stretch this kind of rubber, it's kind of like a rubber band sort of, but it has these magnets attached to it. And then it makes it so easy to take the MagMod modifiers and just attach it to the magnets. You can even stack them together. So if you need a few modifiers on the same flash, it's really super easy to do it. Um, and that's why the system is worth the money. The, the ease of use and then the size makes it so these are really easy to fit into your bag and just leave them there. You don't have to take them out. Whereas the umbrella and the softbox are big enough I'm always making decisions about, ah, do I bring the umbrella or do I bring the softbox? And um, if I'm doing portraits, then of course I'm going to. But if I'm not planning to do portraits then uh, or planning to need flash, then I have to have this debate. Whereas I can have the MagSphere stuff with me all the time, which is what I do now. I just have that with me all the time. And unless I know I'm going out to do a, a family portrait shoot or a senior portrait shoot, then I don't bring my softbox with me. So... Um, the, in addition to the mag grip, that's that $25 kind of base thing that you have to attach to your flash. Then there are two different modifiers that uh, increase the size of that light, the surface area of that light. There's the mag mod sphere, mag sphere, and the mag mod mag bounce. The mag sphere is $110, and the mag bounce is more like a, a really nice fancy reflector that you put on top of your. Um, of your flash and it's $105. So you're, you're into it about 130 to $140, uh, to get anything going with MagMod, which is far more expensive than the, the stuff we've talked about already here. Uh, but again, the convenience, the system, the way it works, it really does a good job. It also does better than you'd expect for the size at spreading out the light. It's really kind of, uh, interesting how good a job it does at spreading out the light but it's not going to get to the same level as either the softbox or the umbrella these are still very very small modifiers and even though they are really doing an incredible job for how little they are they're still small and they're not going to make the the light as soft as the umbrella or the softbox will all right, so those are the kind of the modifiers. I hope you kind of understand a little bit about why it is you would need a modifier with flash, even when you're just starting out. Naked flash is just really harsh lighting and it gets it's really tough to use without a modifier. So now let's jump to kind of the settings. That was the last half of Jose's question was settings. What settings do you use? And the answer is always gonna be, it depends entirely on exactly the environment you're in and what it is you want to get out of the shoot. So it's really tough to try to get an exact settings discussion with anything. It just depends on the environment. But I'll tell you the approach I use to get to my settings um, because the exact settings themselves aren't as meaningful. So regardless of flash or not, the setting, setting the aperture to get the depth of field you want in a portrait, that's something that you should already have a good idea of. Um, and it doesn't really change when you're adding flash or not. You already know if you've been a natural light photographer up until now, and um, you should already be comfortable with, I know what aperture I want to use because I know what depth of field I'm going for. 
and you were limited a little bit about what aperture you could use because of the, you were subject to the natural light that was there. So the only thing flash does to change that is you might continue be you might be able to continue using the aperture you want for a longer period of time because you're adding the light that you need rather than relying on nature to provide it to you. So I'm not going to go over really what aperture to use uh, other than to say for me, I, my goal is to get as wide open as possible, which means as small a number as possible on the aperture and still have my model or models be in sharp focus. So that's, that's my goal and what I aim to do. And uh, if I have to then start uh, stopping down in order to get that focus, then, then that's a reality and that doesn't really change with flash or not. Um, almost the same goes for ISO. I My goal is to get ISO as low as I possibly can. So with flash, you're adding light, which should make it possible to have very low ISO numbers. Not always 100, though. And here's an example of what I mean. I've had situations where there isn't enough small... Um, a small enough step in the flash power to get the exposure I want. Having the flash at one eighth power was not quite enough, and but pump, bumping it up to the next power level, which is one quarter power, was too much. And so ISO was the way I can kind of get in between those two flash levels and get the exposure I want. I can go from ISO 100 to 160, for example, just to nudge that exposure up a little bit more to where I want it when the flash power increments was uh, too big a jump and uh, overpowering for what I wanted. So my goal is roughly to get 100 if at all possible and then just bump it up a little bit to compensate where I need to. And uh, in, in specific, you might have it if you're trying to capture like dance or any kind of action and you're using flash, then you might need to increase the ISO so that you can have, um, you can capture that correctly. But we're not going to go over that in detail here. All right, so we've gone over aperture and ISO. That leaves shutter speed as the third component that goes into, um, into your exposure. And this is something where you're going to have to look up in for your camera or consult Google <laughs> to find out something called the flash sync speed for your camera. For my Canon 7D Mark II, the flash sync speed is 1 250th of a second. So that means that I can use a shutter speed all the way up from, from the slowest I can go to 250th of a second, and the flash will be full effect on all of the photo. If I go above 250th of a second, if my shutter speed is faster than 1 250th of a second, I'm going to have parts of the photo that will not be affected by the flash. So, and, and that's, that gets to be an undesired result. It looks like black lines, black bars that end up on your photo. And unless I'm using a high-speed sync flash, which is an entirely different photo taco topic, and I'm not going to cover it here, um, then I have to just stay within that. Let's just, for now, um, I'll, I'll address that in a different photo taco episode. But for now, just know that you got to find out what your flash sync speed is, and you got to stay under that flash sync speed. All right. Um, so I start out with my shutter then at that sync speed. I, I started out at 1 250th of a second. If I can get it there, then that means I have a good opportunity to freeze action for the most part, uh, freeze people moving in portraits, which of course they're going to be doing. Um, it, it will give me the fastest sharpness, uh, ensure that I, I have the best chance of getting sharp sharpness in the photos, um, not having 
camera shake or, or other factors affecting my sharpness. I want my aperture to be where I want it to be regardless of flash and my ISO at 100. Those are my basic settings. Frequently with my Canon 70 Mark II, it means I'm at 1 250th of a second shutter speed, f2.8 and ISO 100. So I'm gonna start out and I'm gonna adjust from there. If I'm outdoors and I want the surroundings to show up, then I'm gonna meter to get the exposure good for the background by either lowering the shutter speed or raising my ISO kind of depending on the ambient light. I don't wanna to touch my shutter speed, I mean, sorry, my aperture. I don't wanna to touch my aperture if I don't have to. That's kind of one of the last resort things. And um, so I, I do that, I get, get it set up so that the ambient light will be pretty evenly uh, exposed, maybe a little slight bit darker than I would do it normally if, than if I was taking a landscape. I'm not gonna really expose to the right. I'm gonna get it right right on the exposure, right at where the metering says it's, it's at zero. And then I'm gonna set the zoom on my flash to be the lowest possible number. Um, and that's because my goal is to spread the light out as much as it can. And if you zoom, you're concentrating the light to an even more concentrated value. It's not spreading it out as much as the flash possibly can. So I want the zoom to be the lowest number and uh, spread out the flash across the flash and then to my light modifier. And I start with my flash power at 164. It seems to be a good spot to start at. 1 128th is just almost not noticeable usually. So I start at 164. I take a test shot. And Jose, this is kind of what you were leading to, that you just shoot and chimp and, and test. And that's actually exactly how I approach it. Um, I'm getting better at guessing. I'm getting better at saying, you know, I'm, I'm really confident 164 is just not going to be enough in this situation. So I might start at 132 uh, or 116th. It just depends on the environment. And as you get more experience with it, you kind of figure out where to start better. If I can't tell then, after that first test shot, if the flash went off, I know I have to bump up the flash power. I gotta get more power in the flash so that I can see the effects on my shot. And I'll shoot another test shot, until, and I keep doing that until I get the flash to where I see that it's affecting my shot. And if it's gone too far, I can try bumping the power back down on the flash and then changing shutter speed or ISO to depending to, uh, to change my exposure, depending on what's happened. All right, so I do try to avoid using a flash at full power, and I do that because it drains the batteries, but it also wears out the flash more. When it's up at full power, for a lot of flashes, you're, you're putting stress on the flash, and it drains that battery really quickly. Um, it also takes a lot longer for it to recycle. That means how long it takes before it's ready to flash again at the power setting you have. So I try to go keep it under one half power. And that way the recycle times are faster. I'm not putting as much stress on the flash. Maybe that's why my flashes have lasted as long as I have. I really try to avoid full power. Incidentally, I have found that sound on the flashes, that, you know, that whine they make when they're recycling and then it stops when they're ready to fire again. I find that to be super, super important. I need that cue, that visual cue from my, uh, as I'm shooting portraits so that I know when I'm ready to take another shot. And it kind of is something that people just intuitively understand anyway. They know until that whine stops that they're not gonna have another photo taken. And it really makes them more patient with you and patient in having the flash recycle. It'll also tell you if your flash is out of batteries that way. If you don't hear the whine, then you know your flash is dead and uh, you're gonna have to change the batteries. Okay, 
So that's kind of roughly how I approach the settings and, and how it is that I do it. If you kind of had a hard time following that last part about the settings, then uh, my recommendation is don't add Flash to your workflow yet. If you have a hard time figuring out how to set your exposure settings in natural light, if it's not something where it's like second nature and you almost don't have to think about it anymore, then adding flash, flash to the mix can be super frustrating. I'm really glad I approached it the way I did. I spent a couple of years really mastering how to get the exposure right on natural light. And then adding flash was still a challenge. It was still a tough thing to do. I still struggled with it, but it was it made a whole lot more sense and it, I got through it pretty quickly in understanding how to use it because I felt like I had the exposure triangle down really, really well. So if you're not there yet, if you are struggling to figure out your exposure settings while you're outdoors, especially if you're doing like a golden hour shoot and the light's constantly changing on you through your, your golden hour and you have struggled to keep up with that and, and keep your settings changing, then don't add flash yet. Just keep shooting natural light. Keep going on, on doing that until you've really mastered it and, and be able to, uh, to really do it without thinking then it will be far less frustrating when you add flash to the mix. All right, the last thing I really think I have to mention in this episode is a feature on flash that's called TTL or ETTL. TTL stands for through the lens, and it's a technology built into some, class, some flashes that are very similar to what metering does with your camera in figuring out your exposure. It kind of, it uses information from your camera's light meter and it, it attempts to guess on what flash power you need to kind of bring the exposure up to normal levels and make the shot properly exposed. Now, I personally don't like giving the camera that control. I'm a manual shooter too. Maybe the same reason I really don't like giving the camera much control over the settings. I occasionally will go to a semi-auto mode where I'll shoot an aperture or shutter speed priority. But uh, I don't want a camera making the decisions. Maybe I'm just a control freak, but I do think it's it's far faster and more consistent for me to figure out what the power level of the flash should be rather than letting the camera do that. Now, the Yongnuo flashes that I recommended, the YN560 models, they're manual flashes. I said I'd talk about that again, and that's what this is here. That means they don't support TTL features. They won't automatically try to guess what the setting, the power level should be on your flash to get to a good exposure. So if that's a feature that you want, you're going to have to go to a more expensive uh, Young Newell model because Young Newell does offer flashes that have that feature in them. Or you're going to need to look at the name brand flash for your camera, like your Canon or Nikon flashes uh, or others. There's a whole lot of flash makers out there who have uh, TTL features built into their flashes, along with high-speed sync, which we didn't, I, I purposely didn't talk about much in this episode. Uh, we'll have a future episode on that topic later. Um, so for me, not a feature I care about. I find it, um, I want the control anyway, and I don't need to pay the extra money to get that feature in my flash. But if that's something that you think appeals to you, and I know there are lots and lots of portrait photographers who swear by it, so if that's, uh, that's something that, that's important to you, then make sure you find a flash that has that feature and, uh, and go utilize it. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. As a quick reminder, you can suggest topics for the show through the Improved Photography Podcast Facebook group, through Instagram by messaging at Podcast, 
or through email where the address is phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, I'll see about bringing an expert guest on the show to go through it, or I will research it until I become an expert on the question. Also, be sure to take some time to head over to the mothership, improvephotography.com, for news, gear, and other photo tip articles. It is the best way to improve your photography. Photo taco. The views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!